Welcome to All About Capital Campaigns, a podcast that provides fuel for your nonprofit's growth. Each week, hosts Andrea Kilstedt and Amy Eisenstein, co-founders of the Capital Campaign Toolkit, provide practical tips about raising more money for your nonprofit organization. The Capital Campaign Toolkit is a support system for nonprofit leaders who are running capital campaigns. At CapitalCampaignToolkit.com, you can download a step-by-step guide for your capital campaign and get many other free resources. This podcast is recorded on a live webinar every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can join the live session and get your questions answered by signing up today at ToolkitTalks.com. already been vaccinated amy amy you've been vaccinated oh on thursday thursday Thursday. my appointment is yes i can't wait i'm counting down the days till thursday yes i have been vaccinated my husband's been vaccinated and why am i bringing that up now because little by little our behavior is going our behavior collectively around the country (laughs) is going to change as more and more people are vaccinated and as people get more uh, more willing to go out so behavior is likely to change and i think that that is likely to affect the way many of you, um, uh, the way many of your organizations are, right? Theaters that have been entirely shut down are going to open up and maybe open up in a new way. Um, animal, Animal shelters or animal welfare organizations that had this huge number of people who wanted dogs and cats and pets to keep them company are all of a sudden going to have to deal with the problem of people who start to travel and realize that they don't want a dog after all. And that's going to end up a problem for people with animal rescue organizations. Um, And child care, I mean, all kinds, boys and girls clubs, most organizations are going to face Um, are going to face a post-COVID era and are going to be asking the questions, what have we learned from this COVID time and what do we want to carry forward and what do we want to or need to change as we go forward? Now, why is that interesting to us in the capital campaign business? Well, because those shifts and changes are going to create opportunities for you to raise money. It's really that simple. And we want to spend some time today talking about how you might raise money given in this post-COVID, in this post-COVID era. How, first of all, are you going to be working with your staff and your board to figure out what that's going to look like and what it is you need? That's question number one. And question number two is, once you figure out what you're going to need, what kind of fundraising might you consider doing to raise special money specifically for that? Amy, did I get it right? Absolutely. I mean, we, we're all trying to figure out what's going on, what comes next. And I think, uh, you know, this is really an opportunity to figure out what could be different for your organization. And, you know, I'm sitting here at a school and it was not the same all year, obviously, at the school. And that's just one in the long list of organizations you mentioned uh, that have an opportunity to think about doing things differently. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, Amy, you, Amy gives a word of caution here in the chat about the fact that people think very differently about vaccines. And by bringing up vaccinations, I am not trying to say that everybody should or shouldn't be vaccinated. Really, what I'm trying, trying to say here is just that as more people get vaccinated, as, as the world moves on, we will be we will be to some extent shifting out of out of um, the former COVID world into something new. So Amy, I know you weren't trying to say that, but I just wanted to make it really clear that I'm not trying to advocate for vaccines or or not. Um, well, are you sure, Andrea? Well, I would, I do believe people should be vaccinated, but that's not the purpose of this conversation today. No. Right? Okay, fair enough. If given the opportunity, that. I would, I would. <laughs> You've been vaccinated. I have been vaccinated. I am a believer, a believer in that, but that's not the point of this of this call, whether yeah. one should okay. or shouldn't talk about vaccines. The point All is right. that post-COVID is coming and it will have effects. And in having those effects, it, you will have opportunities to raise more money, not just through your annual fundraising, but but because you will have specific things to raise money for. And what we in the capital campaign business know is that when you have specific things to raise money for, things that you need, things that will make an impact, things that will make a difference, you can raise that kind of money using a campaign style fundraising strategy. And that is interesting, right? Or interesting to us. Because you can do it over and above your annual fundraising. So you can actually raise raise more money than you would if you just tucked it into your ongoing operating budget and increased your fundraising goals. Right. That's so that's what is particularly interesting about about this topic here to, here today. Now, let's talk about some specific examples. And, and by the way, we do want you, if you came to this call with questions that are about a different topic, please do type them in. We would be happy to, we will be happy to address other questions as well. But so Andrea, let's, let's read one from the chat. Uh, Yolanda is saying that her daughter who works in individual major gift fundraising for another organization is now getting donors to agree to face-to-face -face meetings, something that was not an option a few months ago. So that's certainly, you know, different. Your organizations are going to look different and your fundraising is going to look different. I mean, I know, you know, things have varied from state to state and community to community in terms of what people feel comfortable with. But I think it's true that as more and more people people get vaccinated, they are going to be more and more willing to to meet in person face to face. And it's going to be super interesting to see how that shakes out this year. Um, you know, one of the one of the lessons learned is that we have a new tool in our fundraising toolbox, and that is that you can solicit virtually. You can solicit donors for big gifts. Some of you on this call have solicited four, five, six, and even seven figure gifts over Zoom and over the phone. And I don't think that's going away, but I do think that personal, you know, face-to-face -face solicitation is coming back too. So uh, Yolanda, thank you for, for pointing that out. Yeah, several other people have made really important important comments in the in the chat here. Uh, Gary reminds us that we should be seeking for ways to promote gifts of highly appreciated securities, right? Either outright or as a way to fund life income gifts. But people who have securities have tend to have done very well 
right? The market has done has done very well. And it's important to remember that. It's important to remind people that they can make gifts of highly appreciated securities to their tax benefit. It's also important, I think, to remember that you can invite people who are retired and who are having to give required minimum uh, distributions of their retirement accounts, you can suggest that they give those those minimum distributions out directly out of their retirement accounts, and they won't. That would be pre-tax money. So there are a number of things you should keep in mind. Um, it, Meredith, your comment I find it very interesting. Meredith says what we found is that the current campaign and the money coming in has made us realize all the things we need to we need money for. Right. All of a sudden you become expansive instead of contracting. Um, we have the next few campaigns in mind already. A little success and abundance make us look for opportunities and think ahead. I love that comment because, indeed, when you start to realize that when you that you can go back to your very same donors to ask them for a another gift for something specific, it frees you up to think about all the things that you might need or that you that would benefit the people you serve. And that's a powerful way to go about to go about fundraising. So in the, you know, in the capital campaign toolkit, we talk about three kinds of campaigns. We of course begin began by thinking about capital campaigns. Most people think about that as a you know a building campaign, for example, or building combined with endowment. Big campaigns that may take as many as three years. Then we think about capacity campaigns, which are campaigns that raise money for when you want to increase the capacity of what your organization is doing, but that probably or may not have a building connected to it. And finally, we think about mini campaigns. Now, I'm a big fan of mini campaigns. These are little campaigns that you can do over and above your annual operating um, fundraising every year. And they're incredibly powerful. They, they give you a terrific way to stay in close touch with current donors. In fact, to build the relationship with current donors in, in ways that you don't have to be asking them for $50,000. You can be asking them for $5,000 and feel like it's a big gift in a larger context. Are your kids showing up, Amy? Uh, yes, I'm just waving them away. Can you tell? <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> Oh my God, it's just one of those days. First, the first one walked by, he knocked on the window. Now the second one walked by. Oh my gosh, it's been a day. It's been a day. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm mostly here, except for that on my phone, I, my technology, I can't figure out how to see the Q&A. Um, oh, there. I see. Okay. Right. Well, at the moment, Amy, there is no Q&A. Now, that's unusual for for this group. Did we invite questions yet? So, yeah. yeah that, that's questions. Per so, okay. Put your questions in the Q&A. And that way it's easier for us for us to see, in particular for me to see, because Amy can't see them. So, so. I, I found it. I found it. Um, you found it. So, okay. yeah. So, yeah, I think this, you know, point Andrea brings up and, you know, we're totally biased. Let's put it out there. We spend all of our time thinking about campaign style fundraising and campaign strategy and what that looks like and what it means for you and how to implement it. And I find myself over and over referring to campaign strategy as just best uh, best effort or 
best, uh, what's the, I'm losing the word, but sort of best practice, sorry, best practice fundraising on steroids and major gift fundraising on steroids. That's what capital campaign and campaign style fundraising and campaign strategy is. And so, you know, over the course of this year, specifically because of COVID, because everybody we were working with and everybody we knew needed to raise more money, we thought, how can we apply capital campaign strategy, which is really best practice fundraising on steroids, um, apply to all sorts of different situations. So honestly, in the last year, we've come up with many campaigns. If you've been following us or paying attention to us for a while, you've probably heard us talk about them. It's an eight-week effort, but you know, however long, uh, to raise a hundred thousand or more for a specific thing. So um, maybe you need a school bus, maybe you need, you know, uh, wh whatever it is, COVID relief, scholarships, it can be anything almost. Um, and it's really a concerted and strategic and focused effort to to raise a lot of money in a short period of time. It's a mini campaign. And then the capacity campaigns Andrea already talked about, but it's been really interesting. This year has given us a lot of time to to think and plan and strategize how can you raise the most money possible for the needs you have right now? So, all right, Andrea, I see there are some questions filling yes. in. Yes, and there are a couple of things in the chat that I that I want to want to pick up here um, that I think are are important. So, first of all, Louisa, who is here from Ireland, nice to have you with us, Louisa. It's fun fun to have somebody on the call from Ireland. Uh, she has a question on major giving for a research organization rather than bricks and mortar charity function such as a homeless accommodation. Any tips on raising money for not not for bricks and mortar, but for for a res for research organizations. Now that also ties in to Pamela's uh, question about a chorus. She says, I would love to get some ideas about capacity building campaigns. This is what I am doing for a chorus. So both of these are similar, a research or they don't sound similar, but they are from a fundraising point of view, a research organization and a chorus. Now, I'm going to put it to you and you can chat in. If you were running a fundraising and either a research organization or a chorus, how would you think to chunk out? That's the technical term. How would you think to chunk out a little a, a a project that you could actually specifically raise raise money for. That's what makes these these smaller campaigns or capacity campaigns appealing. It's not just that you need money to run the organization. It's that if you raise a certain amount of money, the organization will be able to do something that actually is going to make a difference. So Maybe with let's start, we'll start with the chorus because something like that come it comes to my mind where I think all right if you have a chorus maybe there's a special concert or a commission maybe you're going to commission a composer to do a special piece for treble girls chorus <laughs> right and maybe it's going to be about something specific relating to your community now. And it's not your whole budget. You probably have multiple concerts during the year. But maybe one of them is, you know, maybe there is a commission amount that you do. And maybe you have maybe maybe one of the concerts features that that particular piece that you've commissioned. 
Now, for people who love choral music and who like going to your concerts and who appreciate getting to know composers, for example, that's going to be an appealing opportunity that would benefit your organization in a broad way because it's going to cover some of your some of your ongoing expenses, but it's going to give people a chance to, to, to contribute to something that feels special. So then I tell you why, why I know about that. One of my daughters is a, is a composer and a musician. So, so she actually gets commissions to do, to do pieces, right? <laughs> and, and it turns out, and I learned this from her, it turns out that there are some people who specifically like to, com- like to commission pieces because they like to get to know the composers, right? That's an interesting, oppor- interesting fundraising opportunity. So, Pamela, I'm not sure if that helps you. That's one way you could think about doing that with a chorus. Now, how might you think about doing that with a research institution? All right. Amy, what would you think of? We don't know much about your research institution, so we're just going to make it up, right? Well, it's interesting. I was actually talking to a research institution last week, and they do all sorts of research, uh, medical research, health, you know, all health-related research, and they hadn't thought about doing a campaign. And I said, you know, I think that there's lots of different pillars to think about in terms of you know, mental health, there's physical wellness, there's um, everyday health and happiness, then there's vaccine related things, there's chronic illnesses. So, you know, pick one area that you want to focus on that's not necessarily part of your ongoing everyday operations, or maybe it is, but you need to draw attention to it. And so you can do um, either a mini campaign or some sort of capacity campaign. I mean, certainly vaccine might be the hot topic right now. Um, And, you know, people may not realize on a regular everyday basis that there's a lot of research. I was just told this the other day, tons of research that had gone on for the last 10 years that enabled us to make this vaccine so quickly. And if some of the research hadn't been done prior, this vaccine would have taken a lot longer to to come to. And so, you know, having a a campaign for, you know, new new viruses, uh, making sure that we can combat new viruses, having a special campaign for that. I I think that the possibilities are endless, honestly. Um, But people do like to give to specific things. And this way... You get to keep fundraising for your annual operating funds and ask for special gifts over and above for special projects or special initiatives, special efforts. You know, this year it was COVID safety uh, protocols and PPE and all sorts of things. And uh, maybe it's technology. You know, how are you going to stay current and make sure that you are able to function in the 21st century? So have a special mini campaign or a little capacity campaign to ensure that your technology is up to date. Maybe everybody's going to be working from home from now on. Maybe that's a change that you're going to be making. And so um, transitioning to work from home or deconstructing the office or something like that, that might be a change. You know, Amy, I, I used to think about about um, 
crafting these little projects in two different ways, right? One of them, I, I, I don't know, I haven't thought about this in a long time. I used to, I used to call it a reframing the, and the operating budget. Mm. And I would encourage people to actually take the operating budget in its detail. So you actually see what the organization is planning to spend money on in that year. Yes. Right. And there's got to be a detail of that and say, what of that detail? What are we already going to spend money on that we could pluck out and that would feel special if we highlighted it differently rather than just lumping it in with everything else? And you might be surprised at how many things there are that are just lumped into your operating budget that actually would be fun for people to to help support. I mean, for example, maybe there is new playground equipment. Right. If you're a childcare program, maybe you're replacing some pieces of, of of equipment in the playground or adding some new pieces. And maybe nobody, everybody knew you, the, the director knew you needed that, but they hadn't thought about it at the basis as the basis for a campaign. Right. So maybe you would add that to some fencing or some or some a planting of a tree or something. And all of a sudden it feels like a special campaign project, even though it was at least some of it was already in your operating budget. So, so take a close look kind of at your operating budget from, uh, from, a um, with a different mindset, right? Not just saying these are expenses, but saying what are the things that we're going to be doing uh, are, are exciting, Right. If you're starting I, I, a new program, for example, maybe there's some startup funds for a new program that would be exciting for someone to be part of. Right. I mean, honestly, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about reframing the way that you approach fundraising, the way you approach your budget uh, or budgeting process, thinking about how you're going to fund different programs and projects. And, you know, this what we've discovered, uh, Andrea probably knew this, but you know, what we collectively have discovered this year is that there are so many different ways to really apply campaign strategy to raise significantly more money than you're raising in your annual fund. And that's what it's about. I mean, you know that donors like to fund special, exciting projects. That's what motivates lots of people in campaigns. And so, you know, we like to think of all sorts of different campaigns. So, you know, if you're not doing a capital campaign, maybe you can do a mini campaign this year, or you plan for a, some, something in between, a capacity campaign for a million or two as you work your way up to a capital campaign in three to five years. So, you know, depend on depending on what stage of fundraising, of programming, of strategic planning you are in the life cycle of your organization, you might do uh, one of a variety of, of types of campaigns. So, uh, you know, we're talking about capacity campaigns, mini campaigns. So tomorrow um, we're doing a a free webinar on capacity campaigns, how to raise a million dollars or more for capacity for your organization. Um, we've emailed about it several times. And because I, I'm in the car, I can't put the link in the chat. But just if you haven't registered and you want to, email us at support at Capital Campaign Toolkit 
if anybody has the link, they can post it quickly. Otherwise, you'll get another email about it first thing tomorrow morning, reminding you to register in the PS of our normal email. Um, but anyways, you can you can just email us at support at capitalcampaigntoolkit.com and we'll send you the link to register. All right. What questions have come in, Andrea? So, so, yes. So here, Meredith asks an interesting question, actually. Will it be better, more sellable to use a mini campaign if they recently closed a major campaign, even if it's for a building? Well, I think finishing a major campaign puts you in a wonderful position to, to go roll right into a mini campaign, actually. It sounds sounds not right, doesn't it? But it really is right. Let's let's look at this for a minute. First of all, when you have finished a building campaign, right, undoubtedly there are some things that haven't yet been covered in the building budget. I promise you that's the case. It, maybe you don't have the landscaping ra funds raised yet. Maybe there are startup funds for a new program that you would like to add now that you have the new building. Maybe there are, uh, I don't know what it would be, but there it's, it's very common for people to finish a building campaign and find that there are things that they want to raise money for now that are after the building. And now they want to raise money in order to make most use of the building. Now, so that's one piece to pay attention to. The other piece to pay attention to is this. By the time you finish your capital campaign, it will have been some time, probably some years, since you went, since you actually solicited a lot of those gifts. And you should be actively looking for things to go back to those people for. You don't want to drop them just because they gave to the campaign, right? You want now to, to draw them closer. And one of the ways to draw them closer is to ask them for something specific that you think they would like to give. So in my opinion, finishing a capital campaign for a building is really the starting point of looking to, to, to solidify the relationship with the donors, all the relationships with the donors who have made, who have made your, your project successful. In fact, if you haven't been asking people for a gift to the endowment, this is a perfect time for you to be asking for a planned gift. So just because your campaign is done doesn't mean that your fundraising is done. In some you sense, know, it's just beginning. I think that's a mistake that so many organizations make, Andrea. We hear all the time. People come to us and they say, we want to do a campaign or we're ready to do a campaign. And we did a campaign here 10 years ago, but the donors from that campaign haven't really been solicited since. Yeah, right. Right. So, uh, I mean, sometimes it's it's better or worse than others. You know, sometimes they haven't been cultivated or or stewarded at all either. But, you know, it's a problem that they haven't been asked for gifts since. Um, honestly, people who make major gifts and plan gifts to your organization are the most likely ones to make additional plan gifts and major gifts. I was talking to somebody the other day. She was sh so shocked to think that after somebody had made a charitable gift annuity that they might ever do anything again. And I said, oh my goodness, yes, they've raised their hand to say, we love your organization. We want, you know, we're committed to it. And then what fundraisers tend to do is sort of run away and hide. Not everybody, of course, not you guys. <laughs> um, but 
you know, um, it's especially a problem, I think, because often after a campaign, a development director leaves to go to another organization. And that may be where a lot of the sort of the dropping off and the fallout happens. And then it takes time to build relationships with whoever comes in next. Um, but you absolutely want to ask people before a campaign and after a campaign. And that's why many campaigns are so such wonderful opportunities. Yeah, Meredith has asked, has asked, what, what do you do about people that have, let's say, a three or a five year pledge period? Do you have to wait until they finish making their pledge, you know, paying off their pledges or not? Well, a number of things to know about that. First of all, it's not uncommon for people to prepay their pledges. Some it used to be and probably still is that some significant number of donors don't want to keep a pledge going for a period of time. If they find that they have money and they then they would rather pay it off. You're going to get some percentage of people who have prepaid their pledges. And while the pledge period may be three years, you're going to find that some people pay off in two or if the pledge period is five years. Some people will have paid off in three. There is no reason not to go back to those people. Now, there's honestly also no reason to go back to the people who still have outstanding pledges. And as you say, Meredith, you can invite them to extend their pledges for a new purpose. Invite them. If they're excited about it, they'll do it. If they're not excited about it, they'll say no. Right. That's, I, I think that's the most important part is don't make assumptions on their behalf. Don't assume that they won't or that they can't. Give them the choice and let them have the opportunity and acknowledge, say, listen, I know you're in the middle of a pledge to our campaign. We've got this other smaller, exciting project, and we wanted to make sure that we gave all of our best donors the opportunity to participate. Um, is that something that you'd want to have a conversation about? So, you know, you don't have to force it down their throat, you can ask them if they want to be asked, right? I mean, we like to do that anyways. Do you want to participate? Uh, do you want to learn more about this exciting project that we're doing? And don't assume that just because they're in the middle of a pledge that they wouldn't consider funding something else. All right. We have a couple um, of other questions here. First of all, Joel, I do see your requests to want to be an intern someplace. I would encourage you to talk to people in your local community or organizations with whom you have a you have a current relationship. Right. That's where you need to begin. Somebody may be willing to give you an internship to help you get that experience. I don't think we can help you on this call about that. Um, I, 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 there's a question that's hanging out here that you reposted, Mary Jean Clavin. Thank you. Can you comment on rolling initiative approach rather than a big traditional campaign? So, and I think earlier you had posed that question as well, right? And, you know, there, I'm, I'm not quite sure what you have in mind as a rolling initiative, but here are a couple of things that come to my mind and maybe Amy can, has different thoughts on it. To my mind, you can do one campaign after another, right? There's absolutely no, and you don't have to be asking everybody for every campaign. You can pick and choose the people who are likely to be most interested in one, one thing you're doing or another thing you're doing. Could you then put the, all of that money together into a large campaign goal? Sure, if you want to do, 
you could say this year we have accomplished 10 things and we've raised X number of dollars for it. And thank you to all of the people who have given to these various initiatives. There's probably is some, is some marketing benefit to doing that, but you don't have to do it, right? You can use these small campaigns as a way to build relationships with individuals. You can, you can thank them in ways that are very personal you can you can have them see the benefit that their money you know made possible the things that their money made possible in a way that that they will be very happy they contributed without kind of rolling it into a larger campaign so you have to look at your specific situation to see if if rolling it into a larger campaign makes sense or not should it be a rolling campaign if what you mean by that is we have we're raising money for one thing and then we're raising money for another thing and then we're raising money for another thing by all means. That's what you, we encourage you, you to be doing that. Um, Pamela, Pamela tells me that she doesn't have it. There aren't any concerts this year, but you know what, Pamela, just because there aren't any concerts doesn't mean that composers aren't writing music. So there probably will be concerts next year is my guess. So you're probably mm-hmm. in a good position to raise money for a special project this year that would then be performed next year. That's what I would imagine anyway. All right, I'm I'm looking back in the questions. Uh, Miriam's asking, we plan to ramp up our regular in-person programs schedule in July. Are there suggestions on how to craft a campaign around this? And I happen to know Miriam, so I know that she's running a program for adults with developmental disabilities. I don't know if that's how you'd describe it, and I apologize if that's not the right language, but uh, that's sort of the gist of it. And um, so bringing back their program participants in July, how do we craft a campaign around that? And I think there is. I mean, I think that there's sort of an opening um, a reopening uh, programs, and I, I think that there there are ways to bring back our our clients, our bring back our programs type of campaign. Um, I don't know, I don't know, Andrea. How would you say it better? I need to think about it, but for sure, for sure, um, help us reopen, help us get started, bring back the ins- excitement and enthusiasm. I think you want to think about specific things that you need to open up again and start with, uh, you know, fill our shelves, fill our, fill our pantries, fill our shelves as we reopen up something like that. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've been tossing around names, I mean, back to the, back to the future or fresh start, or, you know, I think there are ways to talk about what it is you're going to do and why it's exciting. And remember that, that you're, always raising money to be able to do more good. And that's what you need to be focusing on. So it may need, mean that, you, that you're actually raising money for plexiglass or for markers or for different kinds of desks or for whatever it is that, you're, that you actually need the money for. But, but the way you're positioning it is not that way. The way you're positioning it is finally our students are going to be able to come back safely in person. And while we have gotten through this past year, right, our students are far better served when they can safely come back together. And we need your help in making that possible. 
So did you see what I did? I transitioned from what you're actually going to spend the money on, what the needs are, to what the impact is going to be when you actually spend that money. Right. That's and that that's one of the keys, actually, of effective fundraising, whether you're talking about a mini campaign or or other. I'm in the in the fundraising business. We need to think carefully about the difference between features and benefits, features being what it is you're actually going to spend your money on. Right. What are what are the things you're going to spend the money on and benefits? What difference is it going to make? What difference is it going to make in your community to the people that you serve? And you have to become very good and very agile at starting with features because that's how you can put a budget together and then articulating to the donors what they're, why they should give in terms of benefits. So if anyone hasn't thought about features and benefits, there, it's actually a fundamental marketing tool. The famous, the famous example of it is that when you ask Ask somebody what the benefit of a drill is, of you know, an electric drill that carpenters would use. Right, Amy, do you know what the what the benefits of a drill? Uh creating a hole? No. Yes. Holes. Holes. Okay, good. Like the benefits of a drill are the holes. They're not they're not selling you the drill, they're selling you really the holes. Right. You don't care if you're the drill in your workshop. You care that it makes holes. Yes. <laughs> That's the classic example of features versus benefit, right? The features yeah. say it's a drill bit of eight inches or whatever, and the benefit is that there's the hole in the hole. So you should all be very good at that concept of, of turning features in, into benefits. So uh, let's see. Uh, Brent, let me quickly answer your Good question. question. Okay. You, uh, Brent, you, you have a challenging situation, right? What you say is you're an older organization. You just went through a name change. You're starting to look for starting a capital campaign to build a new building for low-income seniors. You have no database. Just put together a fund development committee, and you're looking to raise between eight and ten million dollars. Any hints of what mm. to do first? <laughs> well, that you've got a steep climb ahead of you, Brent. And what I would encourage you to do actually is to go to the Capital Campaign Toolkit site and sign up for a strategy session. Um, I think we can better help you think that through if we actually actually talk to you. So, so go to the Capital Campaign Toolkit site and, and sign up for a strategy session. But you've got a heavy lift to be able to raise eight to $10 million with no history, you know, no database, no history of major gifts fundraising is a heavy climb unless you expect a lot of that to come in from government funding, and you may. So, so let me, you know, maybe seven of that or eight, seven of that or six of that million of it is going to come in through government funding, and you actually are only raising a million or two from private sources. All right. All right, uh, let's read. Sherry's question has been hanging out here a while. She yeah. says, we're transitioning to the public phase of our campaign. We were in extended pause due to uh, leadership transitions, um, resulted in campaign leadership as well. And now we've identified new campaign leadership and a new committee, um, but only one year left in the campaign. What's the best way, best strategy to proceed forward? Right. So, 
yeah. Okay, go ahead. You can start, Andrea, if yeah, you want. So, so one of the thoughts that I had is, is for, it's for fairly common these days to, to recruit different leadership for different phases of the campaign. And that and that's particularly interesting for you as you move into the public phase of your campaign, because the skills and requirements of someone who will lead a public part of the campaign are quite different from the skills and skills you need from someone who's going to lead the quiet phase, the, the major gifts portion of your campaign. So in the in the public portion of your campaign, you you want to bring someone in who is very good at and very happy to be public. Right. To do to do things in the press, to do things in the media. You can have a very, very good campaign chair who doesn't like to do that, but who is great at asking individuals for gifts. So this is a good time to change, to think about changing leadership and the qualities you want in a new campaign leader. So I wouldn't particularly worry about it. I would just frame it as a natural shift in the way you are organizing your campaign and as something you might have done anyway without all of that transition stuff that's been going on. Um, and a year in a public phase of a campaign for a university is probably about the right, right amount of time, right, is my guess. Again, we would need to know more about the university, but if it were a small local organization, then I would want a shorter public phase of the campaign. But if you have, you know, an alumni group that's spread out and you need to accommodate a whole bunch of different years, different class years, it may take you a year to, to do the public face of your campaign. Anything I missed, Amy? No, I think that's good. Let's go to Dana's question. Could you provide? Oh, oh did you just delete it? I just oh. deleted it by mistake. Oh, Dana. Oh, maybe. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, wait. I can, we can, we here, can find it. Here, here, here it is. I'm sorry, but I did that by mistake. Here it is. That's that's all right. Okay. Let, let me read Cammie's while you find I found, Dana's. I found Dana's. Oh, all right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Can you provide tips on positioning a mini campaign as above and beyond our your current needs? Our board is hesitant to raise money specifically for COVID-related costs as we are ending the year in the black. It has nothing to do with whether you're ending the year in the black. That's that. It really has nothing to do with it. Well, you should... You should and every year in the black. Let's yes, try it. That's exactly. the goal, right? Exactly. The goal is, is for you to be a sound, solid organization that runs in the black. If you are, then you can raise more money. If you aren't, it's harder to raise money. Now, that sounds a little odd because you would imagine that if the organization was about to lose $50,000 or have a deficit of $50,000, then you could raise that $50,000. But you don't want to be raising money that way. You want to be raising money. You want to say, we are a sound, solid organization. We are in the black. And because of that, we can do more good in the world that we want to raise money for these things which would enable us to do something over and above what we're currently doing. And we can do that because we're so strong, right? We don't raise money because you're weak, right? Don't raise money because you need the money. That's not right. Raise money because you want to invest in, you want to invest more in doing more good. So right. being in the black means that you're just static, your organization should never be static. If you're in the black, you should be shooting for what's more. Well, and you never want to be in the red. That's right. No, no donor wants to give to an organization that's in the red, because what that means is that they're throwing good money after 
bad, right? You know, you need them for for expenses and operations and rent, and you're going to be back to them next month and next month and next month. And you don't have time to think strategically or do or evaluate your programs and services or expand or enhance or whatever it is. And so, um, yes, of your board's worried about doing a mini campaign because they think that it'll take away from your annual fund because they don't understand the con they don't understand fundraising and they don't understand how it works and when you do any type of campaign mini campaign capacity campaign capital campaign comprehensive campaign you are always telling your donors we want your ongoing annual support so we continue to thrive and run our annual programs and we want a special gift for this campaign over and above what you would ordinarily give. So it doesn't replace what they've given. It's an additional gift. And that's what makes campaign fundraising effective. All right. Um, two doozy questions here, um, Amy. Okay. I was going to read Cammie's quickly. Yes, uh, okay. I mentioned it before. So our board has decided to launch both public and private phases simultaneously. Have you ever heard of that being successful? Um, Cammie, the, uh, you know, obviously we don't know the special circumstances of your organization or what's going on, but we do not believe in that, right? There's an order, there's a system, there's a strategy for campaigns, and we're happy to talk to you about it individually on a strategy session. So again, go to the Capital Campaign Toolkit website, sign up to talk to an expert, and we will discuss your specific situation with you. All right, Andrea, whose question do you want to take next? I would say about that, that, oh. that it, I would translate that question into saying our board our board needs and thinks we need money and they're going to ask anybody for it, whoever shows up at their doorstep or whoever doorstep they can go to. That yeah. is not strategy. It is not a strategic way to raise money and it is not likely to work. I'd really encourage you to lean back hard on that with your board, right? You, you have to find a way to, 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 guide them in the right direction, it is not likely to work for you. Yes. The the reason they want to do it, we're guessing, is because they don't know what they're doing. Right. That's that's why they want to do it that way, because they just feel like they want money now. And in okay. any which order, in any which way, right. um, and they don't understand campaign strategy. Okay. Uh, so here is a here is a, a question inside a problem inside a problem. So I'm a working with an organization that has a crisis, a new crisis within a crisis of the global pandemic. They've realized that one of the iconic artists that they celebrate has a specific, a significant body of blatantly racist imagery in the in the in their oeuvre. Uh, the, the board chair wants to move forward with a fundraising campaign, but does not want this crisis to distract fundraising. Sigh. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Silence, right? Yeah. Listen, I mean, every organization should be prepared for a crisis of one sort or another, right? It's like when you discover that the person who named your building is now being indicted and being hauled off to prison and you take their name off the building. I mean, you're you're working with a, you know, somebody who represents your organization and they are, you know, racist, whatever, whatever. 
problematic issues arise, right? So someone's been embezzling at your organization. So, you know, the question is, do you want to pretend it doesn't exist, which usually blows up and backfires, or do you want to be proactive about it? And I think, you know, probably led by the executive committee of your board and some key staff members need to get together and decide how to get out in front of and what they want to do about this situation. And, you know, it seems to me that being associated or affiliated with someone who's (laughs) overtly or covertly racist uh, is probably not good for your organization in any which way, no matter how much money this individual is bringing to your cause. In the long run, it will be significantly more damaging uh, than keeping them around. Uh, You know what? Let's crowdsource. We haven't asked anybody their opinions yet uh, on today's call. So in the comments, what would you do? What, What would your organization do? How would you handle it? What would be the next steps? Um, and while people type in, I'm going to respond to Dee Bickford, who has said, who has said that that he or she would say that there can be times like these when, for small organizations, that we need you message can be impactful. Not to be too contrarian, says says. Thank you for that for that comment. You know, I think that is true. There are times when the organization's needs can be a strong way to go out, but you can't do it again and again. Right? You have to be very careful when when you do that because it does become a, a habit. And after a while, donors get tired of deal, having to deal with your needs. So by all means, every once in a while, when there is a real and immediate and pressing need, we need to raise the rest of this money to be able to tie down this land. By all means, go for it. But don't get in the habit of that. You always want to be talking about the impact and about increasing increasing your ability to do good in the world. So I agree with you, but but mind your P's and Q's about that. Um, All right. Who has said what here? Uh, let's see. Oh, gift acceptance policies. Yeah, and Melissa says it helps if you have a gift acceptance policy in place that gives guidance on how to deal with these situations. It sounds as though they may. Um, this isn't. That, I think that is true. You should. You, every organization should have a gift acceptance policy so that you're not accepting gifts that are that you don't want to have. That's that's. That's the simpler end of the issue. The bigger end of the issue is if artist, you know, A, you have you have many of his works and it all of a sudden turns out that in his studio he has he has created a whole set set of work that that is that is likely to be offensive to your to your community. And what you and if that taints the reputation of the artist whose work you currently have and what you do about that. Or that's what I take as the, as the question anyway, as the, as the issue. Um, And does it matter? I mean, that's an interesting philosophical issue, right? If the, if an artist has a studio full of stuff that he never wanted to show that came from a prior time in his, in his or her career, what does it matter? 
And would you, you know, that, that goes back to the questions of these, of the public's, public statues that we, that we're having so much discussion about uh, as a, as a, as a community, as a, as a culture these days. I don't know that there's an easy way to answer that question. You'd need to know more, I suppose. All right. So um, some, who is this? Meredith, I think, is is saying in the chat, um, getting back to our original topic, which is getting beyond COVID. Uh, she's talking about back to better versus back to normal. Right. So are you going back to normal or are you going back to better? Um, I think that's a campaign slogan in and of itself. Right. So thinking about a capacity campaign to get us back to better. Um, that's like your back to the future idea, Andrea. Um, yeah, I like back to better, actually. I, I, that has a certain ring to it. It really does. Yeah. I think back to better is good. And then you'd have to you'd have to sort through, well, what does that really mean? And why is it better? That brings me back to the comment someone made earlier about starting to solicit donors in person as opposed to uh, to on Zoom. And I think for some donors, um, they prefer to be solicited on Zoom. They prefer to go to meetings on Zoom. Some donors distinctly prefer it the other way. But I think early on in this call, Amy, you said we really now have more tools. Yeah. And we should and we should be willing and able to use them all in the appropriate way. We should find out what people what how people want to want you to approach them. So don't assume that that people want you to meet with them in person. Right. Some people would be just as happy not to. And what we've found is that meeting online is effective and efficient. And so we don't want to, you know, we really, really buy into that at the toolkit, that meeting online and leveraging technology to be in multiple places at once. Honestly, look at me now, right? I mean, you can be meeting with donors and uh, about to pick up your kids at the same time. And that's just part of the way we work and we function now and technology enables us to do that. So don't snub your nose at it. It's effective, it's efficient, and it's the way of the future. So, all right. We have just a minute and I want to answer, I want to answer um, Laura's, uh, Laura's question. I didn't read it carefully enough before, but it's a good question. How do you build a case for a major gifts plan, gift plan giving officer to raise additional funds? So, so it has to do, Laura, with the incremental raise and how much money you can raise after over the person that person's salary. And you have to be able to, to show that. You have to be able to talk about portfolios and how many donors they could they could manage and what the annual what the annual return is on portfolios of that of those sizes. And I think there I think there is a fair amount of information out there about that actually. So, you know, you can you can look and you can document it both based on your own staff and how much a major gifts officer currently brings in over and above their salary. And you can probably go online and do some research and find out what the standards in the in the field are. Go and look at the Veritas stuff. I'm sure they've written on that. Um, Veritas, T-A-S-V-E-R-I-T-A-S. Laura, I think you know who they are. Um, <laughs> Veritas.com. All right, good. I think that is it for today. Yes, Earl, to answer your question, I am, if you weren't here a little earlier, I am playing Capital Campaign Toolkit Car Karaoke today. So uh, 
It's the art and science of being in two places at once. And I am thrilled to have been here today without technology and without uh, Zoom. We would never have been able to do it. So Amy, we're, we're not going to see your dog today. Are we going to get to see your kids? <laughs> no, one's, no, the one's in one direction, one's in the other. Okay. All right, good. Thanks, everybody. It was great to see you. Always a favorite part of our week being here with you. And hopefully we'll see a lot of you on tomorrow's webinar on capacity campaigns, how to raise a million dollars or more for to build your capacity. So um, the link was posted in the chat by some somebody, yeah, Jan, I think yeah, it was. Thank you. It. Thank you, Jen, for doing that. Thank you. And uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. Hopefully we'll see you tomorrow. If you know somebody who would benefit from learning about capacity campaigns, feel free to send them the link. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks for joining Amy and Andrea for today's All About Capital Campaigns. To learn more about them and their work together, go to capitalcampaigntoolkit.com.